0: You know, we used to call ourselves brothers and sisters. Yeah. And then it got a little bit old-fashioned to say that. On, and with the loss of yeah. the speech, we've lost the culture. Yeah. We've lost the culture of brotherly and sisterly love. Uh-huh. And you know, if every Christian was to love other yeah. Christians the way the Bible instructs us to, we wouldn't need home groups. Uh-huh. We wouldn't need to structure relationship. Because we take care of one another. You see, God asked Cain, where is your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Uh The answer is yes, we are. We're supposed to be each other's keeper. And I believe the day's coming, if we're going to see revival, then we can't be chasing ministry outside the whole issue of one anothering. Uh, We can't keep employing staff to do what one anothering should do. I prophesy a future, I really do, where we can only employ the equippers yep. so the equipped can do the ministry. Right. If you go to First Thessalonians 5, and this is not my message, but it talks about what God will do, what every leader should do. But then there's about 13 things every Christian should do to one another. Mm-hmm. Christians should tell other lazy Christians not to be lazy. No. If we did that today, people say, get out of my face, don't tell me what to do. Because we've lost the loving one another as brothers and sisters, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. There are seven shakings that God showed me 10 years ago that God was going to bring to the church. And over the last 10 years, they've happened in my own life. They've happened in my friendships. There are seven of them. One of them is friendships. Mm -hmm. And you know, friendships should comfort. Friendships should connect us back to the purpose of God, but they should also confront And I believe one of the ways witchcraft comes into the church is when someone gets offended in the church and then other friends get offended on their behalf. And then they start writing the hymns again. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not coming back. (laughs) And so in Australia, we call church growth, but it's really... Christians getting divorced spiritually. Yeah. They marry a church and then they don't like what happens in that church, so they divorce that church. And then they go marry another church. And then they go marry another church. And if they really get upset, they start their own church. And, and they call it church planting. In our country, they call it church planting. I call it church surplanting. But anyway... Um, I prophesy in the next 20 years our buildings will be filled with first-time believers yeah, amen. where we're going to see communities transformed and touched. God is about to do something through this house mm-hmm. that I believe because of the same heart that your pastor carries as we do, that, and I don't want to get emotional this morning, but when I started our church 20 years ago, we couldn't get anybody to serve. Mm-hmm. Can I say this? If you don't serve, you'll end up severing. Those that don't serve the body of Christ sever the body of Christ. And I remember God speaking to me and he gave me 14 E's, which I've got in my patent book, on if you're saved, you'll want to serve. How can you be saved and not serve? And so we no longer, in the last five years at least, we do no longer preach on commitment because people want to serve. We have more volunteers than we need. As we started to serve our community people started putting their hand up and saying, my life doesn't mean much. You know, the first, I said it last night, I think, well, yesterday, the first step to depression is when we go inward. Yep. It's called being centripetal. Uh-huh. We think about ourselves, what happens to us. I have right now in Adelaide, non-Christians asking if they could come and serve our church. Wow. Because of what we're doing in the community, they're asking, can we be part of this? Can we we be part of this? There's a man called Frank Martino. He owns this huge company that builds transportable cities. You know, these big, uh, for the mining industry, uh, for even Afghanistan, where they make transportable cities like houses that people live in while they're at war or while they're out mining, and builds them on this massive multiple acre property. He finds out that we're putting on a day every year for kids with cancer at the end of the year. He's got about seven Ferraris and he's got (laughs) Lamborghinis. And he says, can I come and drive my cars around with the kids with cancer in them? He's been living, he's 70, I think. He's living with a 35-year-old girl, right? So you're talking some pretty messed up life. He comes along and he starts driving around our city little kids with cancer. One little boy, 11 years old is being driven by Frank around our city. And he says to this little boy, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And the little boy said, I'm not gonna grow up. Frank comes to me in tears. All the money in the world, and now his heart's been touched. He said, why do you do this as a church? I said, because we love our city. And because my son went through major brokenness. And for two years, my wife and I lived with what we thought was cancer. We found out later it wasn't, but we didn't know that. And for two years, My life went from colour to black and white. Tonight, I will tell that story. And when I talk about the shakings of God, I'm going to bring positive answers to what God can do in the midst of the shakings because He only shakes to heal. He never shakes to hurt. And Frank Martino is driving around town. He comes into our kitchen in our city campus. He said, you've just fed 500 families that are dealing with cancer. I want to see your kitchen. So we go out into the kitchen talk and he has a look and he goes, and you use this kitchen to cook for all those people? We said, yeah, it's all volunteers. We do our best. He said, I want you to get two trucks, send them to my company where I build all my houses and stuff and I want you to take all the equipment you need, $100,000 worth of equipment delivered to our church. It's just amazing. So his wife, or his girlfriend is driving the other Ferrari and she's in tears. And she says, why do you guys do this? She said, I'd like to come to church. She came to church and six months ago got radically born again. Radically born again. She says to Frank, I'm not living with you anymore. (laughs) Frank gets mad at me now. Look at what you've done to my girlfriend. What have you done? He goes, Danny, you know, you know, Danny, I'm a Catholic. I'm not going to join your church. He goes, I like your church. i give you money, but I'm a Catholic. I'm not going to join you. I said, you don't have to join my church, but you've got to join Jesus. Frank's in church every Sunday. They just got married. Why wouldn't you want to serve? Don't allow your offense to ever get in the way of serving Jesus. I've got every reason to be offended on so many levels by Christians, you know. Um, You know, I'm sometimes, uh, you know, uh, yeah, no, I won't go there. I'll be, I got it, this is on tape, this is on tape. But, you know, um, Christians have a great sense of rumor sometimes, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, they seem to have all the answers to everything they know nothing about. And yeah. so, you know, it's really, really difficult. And over the years, God spoke to me. He said, Danny, as long as you're offendable, uh-huh. I'll make sure I'll create situations you can be offended. Wow. Wow. Until you're no longer offendable. Uh-huh. When you said, you know, Pastor Danny seems to have a good spirit, I'm not, not bragging about myself, because the man wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. <laughs> so um, I'm not here to talk about myself. But um, I just learned that I'm going to be in a better place if I'm just not offendable anymore, you know? And so if you get to a place where nothing can offend you, you no longer deal with offense. You deal with extending the kingdom of God. And so come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. But you know, to do all that, we've got to carry the presence of God in our lives. And I want to talk about increased presence today, God being present in our lives, but slightly different than the nine o'clock, because I actually pray before every meeting. And I say, God, don't let a word leave my mouth that's not ordained of you. And sometimes, can I say this? I've gone away from the three points, the introduction, the conclusion. I, I preach like that at home. But even then, I never have the same notes in front of me and preach exactly the same, not because I'm disorganized or because I'm flippant, but because I know there's different people in each meeting. And I was preaching a similar message to this at Hillsong at the beginning of this year. And I got to the third service, just like today, with similar notes to this. Um, And I'm standing there, and I'm talking about the baby that died in the story of the woman we're going to look at today. And I started the whole service by saying, what do you do when your baby dies? Standing behind me. Only in that service was a young lady whose baby had only just died by the cord of the curtain. Lovely Indian family related to the pastors at Hillsong. You may have seen it on the news where the baby got caught in the cord of the blind and and hung itself and two years old, 18 months, two years old, and the mother of that child is singing behind me on the stage and I get up only in that service And the Lord said, start the meeting by preaching on what do you do when your baby dies. Two rows from the front is a couple that lost their baby that week, also part of the team. At the end of the service, people came up crying, saying, why did you say that? So I realized that I'm not smart enough to plan all that stuff, but the Holy Spirit loves people. God loves people. He loves you this morning. And let me tell you, God wants to touch you today. You see, what saddens my heart is two weeks ago, sorry, four weeks ago, I'm in Melbourne at a gathering of leaders for World Vision. Some of the nation's best um, researchers were there. People from different abominations, I mean denominations, were there. (laughs) And uh, we were in this room. You know, the year before, I sat across the table from a Baptist pastor who thought that all Pentecostals have no theology. We just go by feelings. And so I got up and spoke as one of the speakers, and when I sat down, he goes, wow, you actually do have brains. (laughs) You see, the Jews just wanted miracles, according to 1 Corinthians 1. The Pharisees, not the Pharisees, the Greeks wanted philosophy. it's no different to the evangelicals and the pentecostals you pentecostals just emotion and you want the power and you evangelicals you want to fill your head with information but you got no power ain't got the power to blow the fuzz off a peanut (laughs) and we're all full of pride because there's only one church it's god's church can you imagine if we work together what can happen when god's holy spirit will come but this time they're a little bit nicer to me because i they thought i was intelligent the last time And so I got to speak again, we got to speak and and then uh, we heard some of the nation's top researchers and they said most Christians are in church about once a month. In Australia, you're lucky if they get there once a month. Most Christians no longer believe the church has all the answers according to the national research uh, that was done in Australia by uh, one of the nation's top researchers. And as I began to look at the statistics and listen to them. I realize that we've had a Christianity where people have done Jesus in the second person. They've done Jesus through the church. There's many people sitting in our church. I don't know about here, maybe it's not like that here. But in our church, can I say to you honestly, there are people that say to me, even last week when I was preaching in a church in Australia, they said to me, Danny, I don't read my Bible. I don't get anything out of it. Actually, read my Bible, I get nothing out of it. And and so they do Jesus through me. As I look back over my life, I have seen some incredible suddenlies in the corporate expression of the church. I thank God for the meetings where the Holy Spirit fell. I thank God for those moments where we were in prayer meetings and God broke through in ways that I'll never forget as long as I live. Incredible moments. I used to run a prayer meeting in the Adelaide Hills, because we were too loud when we prayed at midnight, we used to have midnight prayer meetings. As a youth pastor, I would gather my young people for prayer, but we would get so passionate that every building we hired for these midnight prayer meetings, we would get kicked out because our neighbours would get upset, and that's because of prayer. So we hired an old building up in the Adelaide Hills where there was, there was nobody around. And I remember one night in this prayer meeting, the meeting went really flat. And it was midnight, but the meeting went flat we were singing oh you remember the song oh lord you're beautiful we're singing you know Uh, that sounded terrible i was out of key then but uh, um the voice is gone i used to sing i'm a bit of a tenor i sound better tenor miles away but anyway um (laughs) someone said you got a golden voice pastor danny you sound like 18 carrots have been shoved down your throat but anyway you're a good altar. You sing altar tune. Anyway, um, uh, where's that all coming from? Anyway, we're up in the Adelaide Hills. And the meeting goes absolutely flat and people are starting to doze off. But it was more than physical. It was spiritual. And I said to the Lord, Lord, show me what's going on. What do we need to pray for? I'm telling you the truth this morning. The Lord said there are witches' covens in the Adelaide Hills right now praying against the church. Praying for divorces, praying for the church to be uh, put a, a, set apart, you know, split up, and praying against the church. And I, I'm going, surely not. Maybe I've had too much pizza. You know, I just think it can't. So I said to the young people, I said, young people, I believe God's spoken to me. We need to turn around right now. We need to face the Adelaide Hills. And with our hands, we need to start pushing back the powers of darkness that are coming against us. And I'm telling you, listen to me here. What happened as we started to do that Something started cracking. I can feel it now as I'm talking. Started cracking in the atmosphere. People started crying for our city. Tears just started to fall amongst teenagers. God, give us our city. Lord, touch our city. And all of a sudden, we started to worship. The atmosphere opened up. Sunday morning, now this was Friday night. Sunday morning, I'm standing at Influences Church, Paradise Church, shaking hands at the door. And someone runs up to me with the Sunday Mail, the the newspaper for Sunday in South Australia. Witches' covens in the Adelaide Hills determined to destroy the church on the front page of the newspaper. And God said to me, I can show you ahead of time what the devil's going to do. Now listen to me. From that Sunday, some of my young people who'd been involved in the occult started coming out. To the point where we uncovered witches' covens in the Adelaide Hills where they did sacrifices of fetuses. Channel 9 came. Channel 10 came, a man called Ian Leslie from 60 Minutes, some of you will remember him. Ian Leslie came, and we did a documentary, and for the next five years, God opened up a ministry for us to deal with witchcraft in our city, to pray for people to be delivered. There were people in our police force involved, in the Underground Bureau of, of Investigation, and I, I was getting death threats, I would get phone calls, we're going to kill your wife, we're going to kill your children. We were starting to get all these death threats, and we were involved for five years, Exposing the occult in our city. I thank God for suddenlies of God. When we come together corporately with hunger and passion to touch God, we are in a supernatural Walk with God. This is not a natural world where the supernatural should be more natural for us than the natural. You go to New Guinea and they'll tell you that. You go to Africa. I do a lot of work in Africa and the supernatural is natural for them. But in our part of the world, you know, we think, oh, did that really happen? And I went through a horrible time of attack. I remember one night had to expose the occult at a major event. And what happened was I started hemorrhaging just before leaving for that meeting. And I nearly couldn't get there. And by the time we got to that meeting, the hemorrhaging just stopped. I was so weak. I was so tired. And that night, we saw people delivered, set free from the power of the enemy. We saw amazing things happen. I want to tell you, the power of God is real. It really is real. The supernatural is real. But none of that can happen unless we individually... Carry the presence of God in our lives it can't just be what happens corporately I tell our church all the time church I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot one decision I visit prisons all the time Tark it's one decision doesn't matter how good it's been up to now I want to finish my race strong I don't want to have 10 good years. I don't want to talk about, like this morning, what happened back then. I need the power of God now. You see, I operate today. Please don't take this as a boast, but I sit at my desk at church and I say, God, tell me who in the community you want me to go and see. It's okay to ring up Christians that are going through a tough time, but it's a tough one when you're going to ring up someone in the community and say, God, lead me to that person so I can operate in the word of knowledge and open up their lives. And so here I am one day at my desk, and God says to me, I want you to go and visit Tony. We might not ever get to the sermon. But anyway, he says, I want you to go and visit Tony. Tony owns a restaurant up the road from our church. Tony has just had his brother-in-law his nephew, the brother-in-law's son, killed in a helicopter crash in front of the whole family on the son's birthday while they, the father used to make helicopters and he's trying out a new helicopter on the son's 21st. He goes up in front of his wife and daughters and family to test this new, on his property, a vineyard in Adelaide. He goes up in the helicopter, crashes a helicopter and he gets killed and a couple of weeks later, two other family members get killed. Wow. Tony's running a restaurant. And God says to me, I want you as a church to renovate that restaurant. It was run down because of the tragedy of what happened. They'd lost their their will to go on. And I don't know why God told me we needed to. I didn't know where Tony lived. And I said, God, if you want me to do this, I need to catch up with Tony. I need to talk to Tony. I knew he lived in a suburb called Woodcroft. I got in my car. I couldn't deny this push inside of me to go and visit Tony. I drove up into the suburb. I didn't know where, where he lived, but I knew what car he drove because I'm into cars and I'm driving around looking for his SS Commodore and eventually I drive up the street a one-way street and there's the Commodore in the drive I get out of the car I go and knock on the door and Tony opens the door and he goes oh, I can't believe it I just said to my wife I wish we could talk to Danny about what we're going through and you've just turned up on the doorstep totally unchurched people Cut a long story short, he was in partnership with the business and God gave me a prophetic word that he should take over the business. We found out later that money had been embezzled in the business and things were going down because the partnership had gone sour. He ends up buying the business, we renovate the restaurant and then one day he comes to me and he goes, Danny, you know how you renovated our um you know, uh, business. Can I say this? Remember, you, know, you, you weren't here yesterday. I talked about, well, this morning, it was at the nine o'clock, I talked about the son. Uh, we've got a, what do you call it, foster son that we look after, who said to me when he was a little boy, Danny, I don't know what life would be like without you. Now we get to the restaurant, we renovate the restaurant, and God just does an incredible connection with his family. And he shakes my hand at the door and he goes, Danny, I don't know what life would be like without you guys, and repeats the same words that little boy had repeated to me as a, at a young age. And so I'm deeply touched. And Tony looks at me and he goes, you know, Danny, see, people in our church thought, Danny just wants free meals. He's renovated a restaurant so that he can get free meals all the time. (laughs) He says, Danny, I've got a heart for street kids. Your church loves the community. I'd like to put on a Christmas Day party for all street kids that have never been to a Christmas Day party. My staff in the restaurant are prepared to work for free on Christmas Day. Can we partner with the people in your church that may want to walk, work with us The staff? We've already spoken to toy companies and we're going to get all these toys for these kids that have never really had toys. And 120 people were given a five-star at the restaurant experience with toys and gifts on Christmas Day because we renovated that for the community and the community partnered with us because I heard from God. Those things are fantastic. They're great stories. You may say, well, that might not ever happen to me. But I've got good news for you this morning. God can speak to you. God can have a relationship with you that is an ongoing personal connection. And at the end of last year, I was in worship one Sunday and the Lord said to me, get ready for increased presence. Get ready for increased presence. And he said, Danny, don't waste my presence. Do not waste my presence. My presence will touch you. My presence will teach you. My presence will train you. And my presence will take you to divine purpose. Because of time this morning, let me just quote it to you. Second Kings chapter four, we read the story of a woman who built the house, a room on top of her house for the presence of God. She built a room above everything else. She was a wealthy woman. She had lots of money. She could have spent her money on anything she wanted, but she realizes all the money in the world wasn't gonna fill the gap. Kerry Packer, the richest man in Australia, before he passed away, said, I don't know if there is a God, but there's a black hole in my heart that nobody can fill. And I wanna tell you, all the money in the world is not gonna fill that black hole that only God can fill, but this woman was smart enough. Yeah, come on, give the Lord a hand to praise. This woman... She decides to build a room on top of everything else for the presence of God. Elisha was the prophet, but he was the type of Jesus Christ. Elijah was the type of John the Baptist that prepared the way. I love doing messages on those two guys because I actually do believe, Pastor Tark, that the anointing of Elisha is coming on the earth. There's been a generation like you and me say, prepare the way, prepare the way. We've set things in place so we can now set people free. And there's a new anointing coming, Elisha anointing, and it's not an age thing. We can all be part of it as we take bitter waters and make them sweet so people can taste and see that the Lord is good, where the gospel's gonna be clarified like never before, but that's for another day. But Elijah, and he oh, yeah, come on, praise God. You're getting me excited now. If you keep going like this, I'll keep you here all day and you'll get a bit of every sermon I've ever preached, but anyway. She builds a house, a room on top of the house above everything else for the presence of God. And God said to me, Danny, You need to teach Christians to make it presence of God, Christ, then the church. See, it's the right and, Mm -hmm. and the right order. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't go to church, you're not a Christian. Uh I'm sorry, because a Christian is a Christ follower. The Bible says to know the will of God and not do it is sin. Uh Christians, I mean, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. You're made for community. You're made to do life together. You're not alone. You can't do life on your own. But a lot of people have joined the church and then found sword of Christ, Christ the Saviour but not the Lord, and then they get offended and leave. But what God is doing in the next 20 years is He's bringing a fresh move of God where people encounter Christ, then they embrace the church. I'm gonna talk about that tonight, the stages of faith that we go through when God shakes us. This is what He wants to do. Take us from not just loving the church but loving Christ Then we love the church. The church is imperfect. Christ is perfect. When we embrace the perfect one, we can serve the imperfect church because we're serving Christ, not just the church. It's Christ and the church. So if you look at the ands in the Bible, they also are in the right order. Christ and the church in that order. It's not church and Christ. Grace and truth. In that order. If we don't receive the grace of God, we're never gonna embrace the truth of God. Sometimes we come with truth and there's no grace and people just get overwhelmed. So it's the power of and in the right order. God wants to restore to us that whole sense of prioritizing the presence of God. I've got news for you this morning. God's got secrets He wants to share with you individually. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And if you can rise up in faith today and say, I want to come to my Bible again with expectation. With expectation. My prayer, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning I wonder if you've got your Bible in front of you or with you or just your iPad or whatever, just hold it for a moment. Father, I pray this morning that your word will become alive inside of us. Father, I pray, I have built my life on your word and I pray that your word will become revelation to us in Jesus' name. May it become habitation in our lives that we come with expectation, meditation and application. See, I come to my Bible every day with expectation I was reading Acts chapter 28 the other day just in my devotions Paul turns up at Malta he turns up at Malta they think he's an amazing God you know then a snake comes out of the fire and bites him on the arm you know Pastor Tart a snake just looks like a stick until there's a fire and then when the fire comes it reveals itself as a snake you know what that's like don't you just looks like any other stick so then he gets bitten by a snake he's a devil Then he doesn't die, he's a God. All in one sentence, Paul goes from being God, the devil, miracle worker, and they bought him presents. And you know what God says to me as I'm reading that? Danny, don't get too excited when people say how great you are. How great thou art, how great thou art. Worship at my footstool. Anyway, I don't know why I'm breaking out in song this morning. I get tired by the last meeting, but... Danny, don't get excited when people say how great you are but don't get so hurt when people call you a devil but just trust me in every season that if you're living in obedience even when the snakes come out and bite you on the hand You're going to survive, and you're going to revive. And I want to tell you this morning, church, get ready. God wants to speak to you individually. And so this woman makes room for the presence of God. Let me tell you, she wasn't satisfied with visitation. She wanted habitation. She wasn't satisfied with a providing God. She wanted an abiding God. We need to prioritize the presence of God in our lives. Now, Not only did she build a room, and I'll move quickly, but not only did she... uh, build this incredible room she put a lamp in the room on top of a table and a chair and a bed and the Holy Spirit at the beginning of this year said to me Danny it's time to turn on the lamp of revelation so then you can sit at the table of preparation so then you can then rest on the bed of relaxation now this is not just for preachers because God's got a plan for each one of our lives. We're all in the ministry. I led more people to Christ before I was a pastor. I thought, I'd, I mean, uh, corporately I've led more, but personally, before I went into the ministry, I was constantly reaching out to people. I worked in a menswear store and I used to reach out to customers. And one day a guy comes in with long hair and uh, he had a uh, massive long beard and he had flip flops on and a pair of shorts and he had a Canadian accent, I found out. I thought it was American. You don't tell a Canadian, they sound American. And so I said to him, uh, can I help you? He said, I want to buy some trousers to go to a disco tonight. I'm traveling around Australia. I've just ridden my push bike from Brisbane. Taken two weeks to get here. He said, I'm, I'm just, just traveling around the nation. Holy Spirit, the lamp goes on. He says, you need to take this guy home for lunch. I thought, I'm not going to take him home for lunch. I don't even know him. I've never met him before. If my wife sees him, she's going to freak out. So I'm saying, God, if this is you, Anyway, we had to shorten his pants so that he could go to the dance that night and uh, we had to get these black trousers for him. He goes out to buy some shoes. While he's out to buy the shoes, I ring my wife and I said, Sharon, I just met this total stranger and something inside of me says, I've got to invite him home. I've got to bring him home to our place, but I don't even really know this guy. She goes, no, bring him over, bring him over. My sister's here, we've been cooking all day. We've got heaps of food, bring him home. I go, really? I said, okay, no worries. He comes back and I said, look, do you know Adelaide at all? He goes, No, I've just arrived. I don't know anybody. I said, Would you like me to show you around our city this afternoon, drive you around, and I'll take you back to the disco, uh, to the YMCA where he was staying uh, tonight? He goes, Oh, I would love that. But you don't even know me. I said, Oh, I just want to. Anyway, I take him home to my house. We have lunch, and then I'm taking him for a drive around the city. And for some reason, the lamp comes on again. And I said to him, What do you think of the movie The Exorcist? that's what was out then. I thought, why did I just say that? He freaks out in the car. He goes, why did you say that? And I said, because I just felt to ask you, because it's a movie that a lot of people are watching right now. He said, I haven't been able to sleep since watching that movie. I am so freaked out. And he goes, and I don't know what to do. I said, do you believe in God? His name was Marcel Fortier from Peace River, Canada. And I said, Marcel, do you believe in God? He goes, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm searching, I'm open. He was a new ager, you know, hug the trees, hug the whales, hug the snails, you know. <laughs> so he's, he's a new ager, looking, three years, traveling, looking for something. That afternoon I said, Marcel, I'm not going to tell you what to do, I'm a Christian, but we have a youth group and um, we have a meeting on tonight, would you like to come and just try the, the youth? And he goes, look, uh, I'll try anything once. He says, I was going to go to the nightclub, but you've been kind to me, and, uh, you know, I'll come. He comes to youth. We had, um, we had an American preacher that night at youth, and just, just, just like God, and he starts to tell stories and preach, gives the altar call. Marcel's the first one to put wow. his hand up. Listen, wow. listen, it goes better than that. And so he goes out the front and stands at the front with his hand raised like this, and uh, after a while, I went and stood behind him. I said, you can put it down now, Marcel, it's okay. Puts his hand down, receives Jesus Christ, By a 24-hour period, he's now baptised in the Holy Spirit in my car. Gets baptised in the Holy Spirit. He's been riding this push bike. He hangs the push bike up and starts Bible college on Monday morning. On Monday morning. He starts Bible college. One year later, he marries a girl from our church. He joined our bridal college and uh, he married a girl from our church. (laughs) And his parents in Canada go, we can't understand what's happened here. And so what happened, they flew over from Canada to come and meet my wife and I to see why their son had finally found peace, found a wife, got married. Marcel led eight of his Catholic family to Jesus Christ. His brothers went back to Canada to work for the Salvation Army right, running a soup kitchen. All got saved. Right, they're all serving God. Marcel has never left Adelaide other than visit his family. He's still living in Adelaide today with two adopted children because they couldn't have children, living, going to a Baptist church or a Uniting Church somewhere in Adelaide, still a Christian, still serving God because God turned the light on in me as a Christian, not a pastor. Father, I pray this morning, put your hands out in front of you, that God will turn the light on inside of many of your hearts, that we will have divine appointments, that we will see ourselves as people that carry the lamp of God, that we carry, Lord, the revelation of heaven inside of us. And if you speak to us, then we can plan the things you want us to do, and then we can rest and trust that you will do the rest by your power, I pray in Jesus' name. God has given me a pattern, Pastor Tarkle. I submit it to you. But he said, I want staff members and I want pastors to gather together with their staff and have days where they just turn on the lamp. Uh-huh. Where you get together with staff and say, we're not going to plan anything today, we're going to pray. We're going to seek God and we're going to turn on the lamp and say, what are you saying to us, Lord? What, is, what country do you want us to reach? What area do you want us to go into? And we will turn on the lamp. Then you plan another meeting where you prepare what was revealed. You get together and you put legs to it. You say, okay, what are the practical things we need to do? And then what we do is we go out to lunch together and we have the rest and relaxation because God's brought the revelation. We've done the preparation and now we can rest and have relaxation knowing that Jesus will build his church. But I'm going to move real quickly just for a few minutes. What time does this meeting finish? Now. Five. I can do it in five. I can turbo teeth in five. As I said in the nine o'clock, my wife hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me. So, um, you know. But even living like this, there are times when things happen we don't understand. So here's this lady. She builds a room on top of the house. Then she gets given a promise she never asked for. She never wanted a baby. Well, she wanted a baby, but she couldn't have one. And she decides to build a room. She could have built it into a nursery. She could have built it in faith, hoping. But she discovers that when God's not answering her prayer, she's going to be the answer to prayer for somebody else. What a Christianity is that. But if not faith, God, if you don't answer my prayer, if my wife doesn't get healed, if things don't happen, God, will I still serve you? Will I still trust you? And here's a woman that had a baby promised to her she never asked for, and then the baby dies. You think, don't tease me. She said it early in the passage of Scripture. She goes, please don't tease me. I'm not asking for a baby. And she was given a baby, and she loved that baby very much. And then the baby dies. You know, there are people sitting in church every Sunday that feel like some of the promises of God they thought were theirs have died. But then there are other people in church that feel like the baby that died where they just feel dead. They feel like, I just don't feel anything anymore. I come because I sort of feel like I need to be there, but I feel dead on the inside. This baby dies, and what happens is when the baby dies, and I need to wind up, but when the baby dies, she doesn't run to Gehazi. Elisha sends Gehazi, his assistant, Sometimes we expect from the church, the servant of Christ, what only Christ can give us. When my son hit the wall, I couldn't get help from the church because the church was divided in its opinions sin in the Son, sin in the Father. I wonder what else has happened. I'm at Hillsong Conference and a leading pastor from New Zealand comes from not from your movement from another movement or you don't have a movement but anyway you know you're moving you're moving and uh, see a lot of movements turn into monuments they start by men they become movements then they become monuments but he comes to me and he goes Danny this is such a biggie you know in New Zealand especially with the Maori culture this is what he said to me is if the son sins the father will be responsible So I don't think you'll ever get to preach in New Zealand again. This is what he said to me. He said, it was wrong, but I didn't know. I'm at Hillsong. I'm here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I cried my eyes out saying my life is finished. But the issue is God spoke to me and said, I knew before I called you that you would go through this and that I could trust you with this. You see, I had to bypass Gehazi. I had to bypass the assistant of the prophet, and I had to get to the presence of God myself and find out how he could turn on the lamp for me, how he could do that. And this woman bypasses, if the musicians can come, but if this, this woman bypasses Gehazi, bypasses her husband, and gets back to Elisha, he said, you prophesied this, Now I need to get this boy back to the room that we've built for you. The room that we built for you, we're gonna lay him on your bed. We're gonna lay him there and Elisha goes in there and he lays on the boy and he puts his mouth on the boy's mouth. He puts his eyes on the boy's eyes. He puts his hands on the boy's hands. And God spoke to my heart and said, Danny, there are people sitting in church that feel like their dreams died, but they still have faith that something will happen. There are others that feel totally dead. And he says, and there are churches that feel dead. And what I'm about to do is I'm gonna breathe on my church again. I'm gonna open the eyes of my church. Churches that are contemporary, not all of them, have vision in vision. They don't have vision of God. They have a vision that they come up with. We're gonna do this, we're gonna build this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna do that. It's not what we do for God. It's what God does through us when He opens our eyes and we see vision from His perspective. Then our mouth only speaks. 1994, I stand up when I had hair, I was skinny. I only had one stripe in my pajamas, I was so skinny. And I said, we will be in the city reaching the poor and the broken. We're in the main street, Hindley Street in Adelaide between two houses of prostitution. and prostitutes finish their work and then come into our church Sunday morning. We've had people laying dead in the street. We have a team, we have a doctor. He's a doctor, he's a philosopher, he's, a, he's one of the top doctors in our nation and he comes and cleans up the vomit every Sunday morning before people can come to church, and he calls it his ministry. He goes, this is my ministry, to come and clean up the vomit. And I said to him one day, I've actually got him on video telling the story, and I'll leave it with you. And he says this, he says this. He goes, Pastor Danny, I have got a son on drugs. And I just want to say to God, I am not going to get bitter, because he hasn't answered my prayer, it seems. And my son hasn't come off drugs. But there's drug addicts in this street every Saturday night. And the best way I could just serve God is to turn up and not worry about my brains and my thinking, but just to pick up a mop and just clean up the vomit and clean up the sick. We have people stabbed outside our church on Sunday mornings. We can turn up sometimes and there's police everywhere. And God tells me in 94, you will be in the city. We've got the video of when I prophesied it. And today we're standing in the dream. But let me tell you, I went through some dead times. I went through some times that it looked like my baby had died. I went through some times where I thought, we're not going to survive this and while every head's bowed this morning in this room, there are people and you say, oh Danny, I, I, I don't have a lot in me. I actually do still love God very much but I feel like my baby died. Not my baby died. Yeah, my dream has died but I'm still alive. I don't feel like I'm dead but I, but I feel like my dream has died. This morning God wants to breathe on you as you are sitting there. I want you to slip up your hand if that's you and I wanna pray. Heavenly Father, come today. In the name of Jesus, come Lord and touch every single hand that is raised. Is a heart that's open to you this morning. Breathe again, Lord. Breathe again. Father, breathe again, I pray. Let hope rise. Let trust rise. Let Christ be the revelator in their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. But there are other people in the room today. You feel like the dead boy. You feel like you're dead. And how you know that is the things that come out of your mouth produce death you say negative things i don't know if this is ever going to change i don't know if anything's going to happen here and just death you don't have a vision of a preferred future you don't see the future with hope you think i don't know i just don't hope anymore and your hands have shriveled up i have a prophetic word right now some of you that have stopped serving god your healing won't come by you stopping and serving god your healing will come Like this woman, if you start building a room for others, if you start reaching out and giving out of your emptiness. I remember one time I was crying my eyes out and I said, God, i got nothing, i got nothing, I'm empty. And he said, are you willing to give me your empty? Are you willing to give me your empty? And I'm laying hands on kids at an altar call at a camp and I'm feeling dead as dead as dead. I was in the shower before going to that camp and I said, God, how come your yoke is easy and your burden is light and I'm dying? And he said, it's not my expectations you're living up to. You're trying to live up to man's expectations and that's why you're burnt out. And I get to the camp and I don't have time to restore my walk with God. And I'm the youth pastor and I'm laying hands on people and I'm feeling nothing. I'm just doing it out of obedience. I'm giving my nothing. And when I got to the last person out of a long line of people at the altar, the power of God hit me. I fell on my face before God and cried and cried and cried and realised that I started with empty. But when you serve God on your empty, you will end up full by the time you get to the end. In Jesus' name. And so we've run out of time, but tonight I'd like to pray for people. I'd love you to come back so we can pray, because I'll continue the whole theme of the things that God's shaking so that He can heal and get us to finish our race strong. But just closing, before I hand it back to Pastor Tark, if you feel like, Danny, my dream hasn't died, I do feel like you said, I feel like I've died. I want to pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, slip up your hand this morning. I want to pray, Heavenly Father, Thank you for the honesty of these dear people. Thank you for every one of them that's raising their hand right now. Lord, it takes courage to admit that. But Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will come today and turn the lamp on for them today. Father, do something amazing that is supernatural. Holy Spirit, come today. Pour out your anointing today. Holy Spirit, revive us again. Lord, you've got to heal us so we can heal our land. Come, we pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do the work I can't do. God, I've tried to speak your word today, but Holy Spirit, you do the work I can't do and change lives today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.